0: Hey, Good morning, everyone. It is so good to have all of you as we are in week two of our Christmas conversation down to earth. Now, if you were with us last week, you understand that the foundation of this series is the belief that we as Christ followers have, and that is this, that God became one of us. More specifically, God became one of us in the person of Jesus, and he chose to enter this world not in power, but powerless as a baby. Now, if you didn't grow up in America celebrating Christmas, you might absolutely think that is the craziest thing that we have ever heard or ever talked about. But because so many of us are comfortable with it, we take this for granted. And that's why last week we begin this conversation by looking at the writings of the Apostle John. And John was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he was an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. And so after being up close and personal with Jesus... Here is John's conclusion about Jesus. John chapter one, beginning in verse 14. He says the word, and we talked about what that meant last week. So if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and look that up or to listen to that talk so that you get the clear explanation of that. But this is referring to Jesus. It says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, that means that he God in the form of Jesus, he came and he lived with us. John says that we were with Jesus. And when he says we, he's not referring to you and me. He's referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the disciples that were Jesus during his ministry. And he says, we saw him with our own eyes. He moved in our neighborhoods and lived with us. Now, as I said, you you may not believe that's true, Because that's kind of a crazy idea when you really stop and think about it, that God came to this earth and he lived here in the person of Jesus. But we believe that's true, and for the sake of argument, just imagine that it is. Imagine that God really came down to the earth. Now the question is, why does he do that? Well, in fact, we'll put that question up this way. Why did God become one of us and live among us as one of us? Like, why would God come down to earth? Now, if you actually believe this happened, and we do, it's really imperative to understand what would motivate God to do something like that. Now, if you grew up in church... You automatically think maybe of the obvious answer, and that is he came to this earth to pay for our sins through his death on the cross, and you would be absolutely right. And we're going to talk about that before this series is over. But there are some other reasons he came as well. In fact, last week, we looked at the very first one, and I think it's so important because it's like the foundation for why Jesus came. So let's put it back up here, and that is this. Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. So one of God's biggest challenges is helping us to understand who he is and what he is like. So fortunately, he didn't leave it to us to try to figure out on our own, and he didn't just send information from the sky to try to explain himself to us. No, what he did is he sent Jesus. See, Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. And that means you'll never know what God is like if you just look at your circumstances and try to draw a conclusion about God from interpreting your circumstances. And you'll never know what God is like by relying on whatever religious tradition that you grew up with. And you'll never know what God is like by looking within Or even looking at nature. Because as we said last week, if you look at nature, you can learn a few things, but you'll never learn anything about compassion and grace and forgiveness. See, the only way to know what God is like is to look at Jesus. Don't miss that. The only way to know what God is like is to look at Jesus. And if you move past Jesus, you'll miss God. And if you stop short of Jesus, you'll miss God. In fact, the Apostle John, he put it this way in John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. And we're all like, yeah, if we could, man, that would just solve so many answers to questions that we have. He says, no one has ever seen God. But before you go there, John says, I got more to say about this. But the one and the only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with, with the father, don't miss this, has made him known. So here's what John believed. To learn about the father, look at the son. Literally, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would do, look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what God would say, listen to what Jesus said. Now, last week, we gave us all a homework assignment to read one of the four Gospels so that we could, be under, we could begin to understand what God is like by looking at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And we challenge you to pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then to ask yourself this question. What do I learn about God from Jesus? Now, some of you you started doing that week this that this week, and, and you've kind of got a list going, and, and you're learning, and you're excited about that. Some of you, you didn't get around to it, but you've got a chance to start this week. It's never too late to start, and if you'll do this, you will absolutely be amazed at what you learned that you never knew was in the Gospels, and we definitely think that you will find that it will make your Christmas experience so much more meaningful for you because you will understand more what God is like by what you learn about what Jesus says and does. So here's the other thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're joining us in one of our rooms today or online, man, we hope that you'll do this as well. Just grab a translation that's easy to read. You can try out a few different ones on the app called UVersion. Great app if you want to have a great read. Not only can you read it, but it will read it to you as well. So that's a great, a great tool. Uh, we use, most of the time, the NIV on Sundays. Or you could also use the NLT. <coughs> Excuse me. Or you could read the message paraphrase. And that is a paraphrase that is almost like a devotional that makes it so clear. Now, some of you, if you're not a Christ follower, you may be thinking, well, I'm not even sure that I believe that the Gospels are true. And that's fine, but read them anyway. You don't have to believe something is true before you read it. I mean, matter of fact, you can't even know if something is true unless you read it. First, I mean, just think about that for a second. That's true in anything that you read. So give reading the Gospels a chance and ask yourself this question. What do I learn about God from what Jesus says and what Jesus does? Now, today we're going to look at a fascinating story or you could call it a fascinating conversation that's recorded for us in John chapter 4. John is, is the same John, we just talked about a minute ago from John chapter 1. John was there when this happened, and he wrote it down, and he recorded this conversation or this story for us. So we're going to read it together, and then as we read it, we're going to point out several things that we learn about what God is like from what Jesus does and what Jesus says In this story, in fact, today's conversation is a great example for how to do your homework by looking at what Jesus does and says to discover what God is like. Now, Jesus has just left Judea, and John records this in John chapter 4. Here's what he says. He says, Now he, referring to Jesus, had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, for most of us, the names of those things they mean nothing to us, but they were very familiar landscapes to John readers. So they heard this and they thought, "Well, I know exactly where he's talking about." And they're surprised that Jesus would go through Samaria. Going to verse six, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, don't miss that, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So let's just pause there because clearly from what John writes here there's this tension between these two groups of people but we find Jesus surprising this woman by beginning to interact with her in conversation anyway. So here's the first thing we discover about what God is like from what Jesus says and does. In fact Jesus came to show us that God gives equal dignity to all people. See, you can tell from the response of this Samaritan woman that this was just not normal in their culture. Jews and Samaritans, as John said, did not associate. And As we'll see later in the story, it was even more shocking because Jesus is this rabbi speaking to this Samaritan woman. See, rabbis never spoke to women in public. So Jesus has just broken two huge cultural barriers by treating this Samaritan woman with the same dignity that he would anybody else. Now, this is so interesting because Jesus does this sort of thing all the time. If you read the Gospels, you'll discover this. And it always shocked people. See, Jews wanted nothing to do with lepers, and Jesus talked to them, he touched them, and he even healed them. Or another thing is, Jews wanted nothing to do with Romans, especially Roman centurions. See, these were the people who were occupying their country, and they were oppressing them, and Jesus not only spoke with them, but he would heal a centurion servant because the centurion asked. Or Jews, another example would be Jews wanted nothing to do with tax collectors. I mean Jews considered the tax collectors as traitors and thieves who had sided with Rome and they were extorting money from their fellow Jews. And Jesus, he went to parties with them and he even chose one of them to be in his circle of his 12 disciples. Or Jews, you might even remember a story about this, despised adulterers and prostitutes. And Jesus forgave them and even allowed a prostitute to anoint his feet in the presence of religious leaders. See, here's the point. Over and over again in the Gospels, you find Jesus treating people with dignity who received very little of it in his day and his time. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is huge. Because see, one of the things that, um, that Jesus really did that that we really need to look at is we should be known for how we treat people. See, pe- people could say a lot of things about us. I mean, they, they could say, hey, those people, those followers of Jesus, they believe some crazy things. But here's the thing. I love how they treat everybody with dignity. See, if we're going to be criticized, it should be for something that we believe. And that's okay, because we believe some stuff that is is just not normal, that God became flesh and lived among us. But nobody should ever criticize us for how we treat other people. We should be known for how we treat every person with dignity and value so for me as a follower of christ to treat anyone with less dignity than i do another is to say to god god you know i have a higher standard than you you created everyone and jesus you died for everyone's sin but i'm not going to treat them with the dignity and the value that you do now that's important in fact it's so important let's get personal for just a minute and then we'll go back to the story as we've been talking, for some of you, a person came to your mind or a group of people came to mind because you don't show those people or that person equal dignity and value. For for example, some of you dislike rich people. So some of you feel that way towards poor people. So some of you, you don't show skinny people any kind of dignity. And, and, and some of you, you don't treat out-of-shape people with any kind of dignity. In fact, some of you, you look down and you treat as inferior people who are adulterers and adulterers. So some of you, you, you refuse to treat homosexuals with dignity. Some of you refuse to treat alcoholics and addicts and liars with dignity. Some of you, you do this, with your sister-in-law or your mother-in-law, and you treat them as less than. See, some of you, you do this with people of, different economic means or classes or educational levels. Some of you are sexist. You treat women as they are inferior and it's evident in what you say to them and about them and the way you response or the responses that you have for them. Some of you, you're feminist and you do that with guys. Some of you are racist You don't like black people or white people or brown people or yellow people, and you think you're hiding it, but you know the thoughts that run through your head when you see somebody of a different color. Here's the thing. If you're not a Christ follower, I'll just go ahead and say, hey, you should treat everybody with dignity, but we're not going to tell you what to do. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have no right to discriminate against anyone for any reason. Because our Savior and our God did not do that. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all people. And when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see inferior and superior. He just sees people who he loves. And he shows equal dignity. So who are we to think that we are better than God. But that kind of dignity, showing that kind of love, it stunned the Samaritan woman. And she could not understand why Jesus would show her dignity and the respect that he did. So here's Jesus' response in verse 10. The story continues. Jesus answered her If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, this woman hears this, and she thinks he's still talking about water from the well. So she says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Jesus, as many of us understand, is speaking metaphorically about having a relationship with God, but this lady is totally confused. In fact, look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Once again, she's confused about what kind of water Jesus is talking about. But she is all for water that would keep her from having to come out and make this public trip to this public well. And this is the point where Jesus gets really personal with this woman. Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now she's probably thinking, Jesus, I don't even know how you knew that. And some of you as you read this, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of kind of rude in, in a first conversation. You, you really shouldn't bring that up to her. That could be embarrassing to her. I, I thought, Jesus, that you showed everyone dignity and respect. Jesus does. But we learn something else about God in this exchange. We learn that God is full of grace and truth. In fact, we saw John mention this about Jesus last week in John chapter 1. We learned that he's not this balance of grace and truth. In fact, Jesus didn't meet some people and excuse their sins like it didn't matter and then meet other people and judge them harshly. He, He didn't swing back and forth between grace and truth. Jesus was always full of grace and truth, All the time, in every circumstance, and in every situation, and in every encounter. In other words, he looks at this woman in the eye, and he says, Listen, you've got some major sin in your life. You've got some real big failures in your past. You've got some real messed up stuff in your past. Don't hide it, I know. That's truth. But then Jesus says, But I love you anyway. And I'm still going to give my life for you anyway. You can still be forgiven and have a relationship with God. I accept you in spite of your past. That's grace. Or you could say those two things this way. I don't condone what you're doing. And you need to know that it's offensive to God and damaging your life. That's truth. But I still love and I still accept you the way that you are. And I want to give you the power to change. That's grace. See, being full of grace and truth, that is actually the most loving thing you can do because both are required to be healthy. All truth and no grace, it is never healthy. It leads to rebellion. All grace and no truth is never happy. It leads to regret. See, love, as we've learned before, it doesn't make a point or give a pass. No, love makes a difference by admitting the truth but extending the grace to change. And Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you'll discover Jesus models this over and over with people. And it usually caught people by surprise. And it certainly did this woman. In fact, notice what she says next in verse 19. Sir, the woman said... I can see that you are a prophet. You think? I mean, that was kind of impressive what you just said. So clearly, you're a prophet. So, Jesus and the woman, they continue this conversation. And the two, as they're talking, the disciples return from their errand. And they're shocked to find Jesus showing equal dignity, grace, and truth to the Samaritan woman. But it's the response of the Samaritan woman that John really focus in on next. Here's what happens beginning in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Literally, she's saying to them, I'm not sure It's unbelievable to to me that the Messiah would show me the dignity and the respect and the grace and the truth that he has. But I think he might be the one. I think I believe he's the one. But don't take my word. Just come see for yourself. And here's how the story ends in verse 30. They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. In fact, it says, they said to the woman then, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And here's something else we learn. It's the one last thing that we want to point out today that we learn about God from Jesus. And that is this we learn that God, and don't miss this because some of you need to hear this today God takes a personal interest in individual people. And so many of us, we've never thought about that God, about God that way. So, think about it this way. Why would Jesus initiate a relationship with the Samaritan woman by asking her for water when it broke every cultural barrier that you could think of? Why would he engage her in some kind of lengthy conversation? Why would he choose to stay two more days in a town among people that Jews would never associate with? Why? Would he give his time to teach them, spend time with them, and answer their questions? There's only one explanation. Because he cared about every one of them individually. It it didn't matter who they were or where they had come from. He cared. It didn't matter what they'd done. He cared. And if there's anything that you can be certain of, it is that this is true for you as well. See... Some of you, you you have such a hard time believing this. Some some of you, you can't imagine this could happen for you given what you have done in your past. Some of you, you can't imagine that God cares or takes personal interest in your individual life given what you're doing right now. But God takes a personal interest in your life. God wants you to know him. God wants you to experience his forgiveness and grace. And he wants you to recognize that he is active and that he is at work in your life. So there are three big things that we learn about what God is like from Jesus in this story. Now here's the thing. Some of you, you've missed this in the past. And and you missed it because you wouldn't commit to reading your Bible. You just kind of leave your Bible on the shelf collecting dust, or you dismiss it as, I don't think I really believe that stuff, but you've read it, never read it to know. And some of you have a Bible in your mobile device, but you never open it up. And some of you as students, you kind of walked away from it when you left home. So again, our challenge to you for your homework is read the Gospels. J- just pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and read it. Because you will be amazed at what you discover and what you find out about God. And you just might be amazed at what you even learn. And I just want to challenge you. Do this for yourself. And ask yourself this question as you're reading it. What do I learn about God from what Jesus does and says? And you're going to be surprised at some of the things you find. And as I said before, I think this is going to make your Christmas experience so much more meaningful. Because you're really going to understand why God came in the person of Jesus. Why God became one of us and lived among us. And he did it to clarify for us what he's like. So as we said, one of the primary reasons Jesus came was to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like and what we've learned is that he gives equal dignity to all people that he is full of grace and truth and he takes personal interest in individual people including you now next week we're going to pick up with another fascinating story and we're going to discover another reason why Jesus came down to earth but until then open up the gospels and go discover for yourself, what do I learn about God from what Jesus says and does? Hey, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for these written documents from eyewitnesses and people who were around eyewitnesses that wrote down for us so that we could understand what you are like because of what Jesus said and because of what Jesus did. Thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to communicate and to demonstrate what you're like. And I just pray for each of us today as we've looked at this story of Jesus' interaction and conversation with this Samaritan woman, and we learn these three things about what you're like, that you give dignity to everybody, that you're full of grace and truth. And even more than that, God, I just wanna thank you that you absolutely care about us as individuals, no matter what we've done or no matter what we're doing. And I pray today that you help us to lean in because we know that you're gonna treat us with dignity. And God, I pray that you help us to lean in because even as you speak the truth to us, you're gonna extend grace. You're gonna extend your love and your forgiveness. And then we know that you're gonna engage in our lives because you care about us as an individual and so i just want to challenge any of you who are listening today if you've never stepped in to a relationship with god because you did not understand what god is like but today you do will you just say this to god right now in your heart as i speak it out loud will you just say jesus thank you for coming to this earth living and modeling what god is my father is like and today I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to receive that grace. I want to receive that mercy. And I want to enter into a relationship with God as my Heavenly Father. Thank you for this incredible gift of a relationship with God as my Father because you paid the price for all I've ever done wrong, all of my sin, by coming to this earth, living and dying on the cross and rising again. Now best I know how I'm going to begin to have a relationship with you. And I just want to say to those of you that have just said that to God, please let us know. Use use the Connect card, use the RCC app, and just let us know, hey, I took that step into a relationship with God because we want to help you know how to take some next steps and really experience what it means to know the love and the forgiveness and what it means to be in a great relationship with God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your kindness. We give you praise and we give you thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week for part three of Down to Earth. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you then.